Today, there are a few hundred thousand of people that can do animation. And it's very sad because it's the, the first form of expression and storytelling in a 3D space. If you don't have that, you cannot make character express themselves. So we think it more as a liberation of a very, very technical thing that people couldn't do before uh, to many, many people that are able to do it. So for me, it's not replacing, it's like more creating a whole new market on enabling people to do things that they couldn't do uh, before. I'm with Yassine Tahi, who is CEO and founder of Kinetics. They are blazing a new trail into generative AI with motion animation performance around avatars and virtual spaces. Yassine, welcome. Hey, John. Thank you for the invitation. Let's talk a little bit about the market that you saw. So as I understand it, you're not in so much the creative part where people are producing games. You're focused on the end users, the players, the people who are in virtual spaces and really empowering them to be creative through performance and motion. Can you take us a little bit through the opportunity you saw in the market and what you're trying to accomplish with generative AI and avatars at Kinetics? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we've been working on Kinetics for the, the past two years. Uh, my co-founder being a researcher in AI applied to 3D animation. So when we started first Kinetics with the idea of enabling anyone to create uh, motion, we started with video to animation and we recently launched text to animation, but we prefer to say now emotes than animation. So we kind of differentiate between these two. For us, animation is what you need to build a game. So let's say you're building uh, World of Warcraft. Uh, you code all the movements for your gameplay uh, and that's the animation. So basically a game uh, developer will be working with animators and you bring this content in game and you push it. Then there is a second market, which is the market of emotes, which are the movements you buy in game. The most famous one being the Fortnite emotes. They're making hundreds of millions every year there. And this is where we focus. So this market is uh, when a game is launched, is it's the in-game purchase cosmetics market. And we are operating in this market to enable anyone to customize and um, create whatever moves they want and bring it directly in-game in a 3D space. So first of all, I, I had a game that I operated way back in the 90s. It was called Legends of Future Past. And, and we, like a number of other like multi-user dungeons, we had a slash emote command. So you could act out in text whatever it is that you wanted to do, because there would be, I don't know how many verbs we had, probably a few hundred verbs were recognized in the game. But of course, everybody ultimately wants to be able to perform things in a way that aren't constrained by the canned responses. So we had slash emote. And it feels like that's been something missing from these online spaces, right? You don't have that complete expressiveness. But I wanna, I wanna return to that and the expression but let's talk a little bit about what you were referring to on Fortnite there, because I, I want to double click on that for a bit. You said Fortnite is generating hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue off of the emotes that they do have in the game. Could, could you elaborate on that? Because I think people may not even realize how much of the income of a world like Fortnite is coming from this kind of 
player user expressiveness? Yes, sure. So basically, virtual worlds um, used to monetize through advertising. And we've seen in the past few years that advertising is something that is a bit crushing. And we're seeing that in-game assets, especially the ones around cosmetics, are the ones that are making success of games like Fortnite. And the forecast for the next few years show that it will be growing and growing even more. Um, emotes uh, is one of the most liked categories uh, by the users because it's something very social that they use to uh, interact with each other. There's also other categories, obviously, uh, like uh, wearables and uh, the, the skins for your avatar. And Fortnite has been uh, very popular on the memes and bringing also real moves in the real life um, into the games, which also created some problems. There were some lawsuits uh, around Fortnite and a lot of artists um, claiming their rights to ownership and uh, uh, earning money from the money that uh, Fortnite is making. Um, but Fortnite always won the lawsuit because there is no protection of few moves. You can uh, protect a, a choreography, but you cannot uh, uh, protect few moves. Uh, so, yeah, I think there is a big opportunity there also for working with creator artists to help them monetize across different virtual worlds and games um, and bring the popular culture and the internet meme culture into these virtual worlds um, and kind of bridge uh, kind of ByteDance slash TikTok with uh, the virtual worlds and games. Right. I want to return to the monetization aspect in a bit, but before we go there, Let's talk a little bit more about how you're actually enabling this creativity. So you're allowing basically text to animation, text to motion. And my understanding is, is there's a little bit of a delay before it can interpret that and actually implement it in animation. But can you talk about where you are now with this technology and, and what is the scope of the expressiveness that someone can have and, and where where do text prompts play into this? Yes, so there are two parts. There is the AI part, which is the customer facing part where you type something and you have the emotes generated. But this is like, theoretically it sounds easy, but the most difficult part is to put it in production in a 3D world. So our model is a B2B2C. So we work with virtual worlds like Sandbox, Zepeto currently to integrate our technologies in their engine. So basically we're putting our SDK to be able to communicate with their avatar rig and to be able to kind of stream uh, the emote from the cloud to their uh, avatar system. So as a user, you'll be able to prompt or uh, input a video because we're more working on input General input can be image, text, uh, also music. We're working on it on R&D. But for the moment, we announced and we have a released um, video and text will be released soon. And this will then match the avatar rig in the game and make your avatar move uh, that way. So we're providing the end-to-end -end infrastructure for the virtual worlds so that the end users will be able to benefit from this uh, in-game. Today, the state of the art of the computing, as you can see in stable diffusion or like in mid-journey, is you write a prompt, it is a computing time, depending on the queue and how many people are using the, the service, because there are many servers that are uh, allocated for that. And then it will compute with the AI and send back uh, the animation and then play it in your character. For now, there is a bit of delay and we're working on optimizing to make it as smooth for the user to be able to write something and then to play it. 
obviously it's not like a research on library it's like generative that's why it's taking this uh this compute time for the moment so building big generative libraries is very data hungry that that's why things like midjourney have started to work really well is because they have this vast reservoir of data that they can go to on the internet and pull in art and graphics and learn from it and train their models and then you're able to text prompt from it what i'm hearing from you though is there's this text prompting aspect which is an ease of use kind of interface for bringing various kinds of content to life on the screen but you still also need the data a big part of what you seem to be doing is dealing with the data problem in building up animation catalogs by having the ability to actually look at video and also map video to the way that maps to a particular avatar. Am, am, I, am I understanding it correctly? Almost. Let's say that there is different data sets for uh, the training of the different algorithms. We're using animation data, uh, but for, to train our deep learning algorithms on video versus text is not the same. Um, because video to animation, you will need data from a camera and the motion capture exact correct data in front of that. So you're able to, under, like the AI will be understanding that this video uh, match this movement. And then on a huge data set, it will learn from that and able to replic replicate a movement when you play it on a, on a video. With the text, it's different. It, it's, it will take animation data, but it requires labeled data about emotion, about gesture, extra. So it's, we relabeled re uh, the data sets we already had to be able to retrain and to be able to put that in production in terms of AI. In terms of SDK and how we interact with the avatar, the end of the funnel is the same. It's sending an animation, uh, which is retargeted uh, in uh, the avatar rig and transformed into an emote because as i said before animation and emotes are different because there are some standards you have to apply some uh, filters of for example you cannot move towards a certain distance because if you're in a game and you play an emote and you jump from a cliff it will mess with the gameplay so there are some constraints that are applied to the emote and also moderation um, because we want to ensure especially in in games that are under like for the underage people that there is no uh bad movement that is brought in the in the game right I, I can only imagine the issues with that let's let's try to connect the different pieces Let, let's go back to the creator aspect of this so i'm a i'm a creator and i want to make a new animation that i would love to share in virtual space across these different platforms that you're talking about what do I do? Just kind of bring me to basics. Like how, how do I capture my video and my body movement? And then what's step one? So um, depends uh, that we have uh, multiple uh, tools. We have a uh, tools for creators um, and that's what we are working with Zepeto to integrate. Uh, that's for the community of creators that want to create emotes, then to put them on the libraries of the of the game, for example. And that's, let's say, the target of, of creators. This is a cloud-based platform. It's accessible already on our studio. It's called kinetics.tech. You can log in and you have multiple features. You can input a video. We will extract the motion. You can add filters. You can edit. Um, you can... Uh, you can blend different emotes together. So, and you have libraries also available. So this is like kind of a creator friendly tool. And these assets then 
um, can be brought into different virtual worlds. So that's for the, the, the creator. For the gamer, uh, what we are doing now is currently integrating our SDK and integration in-game with some of the games that we are collaborating with so that when you're in-game, you have the emote wheel, you know, like in Fortnite, um, and then you click on customize, it will open your camera, you will film yourself, and then your asset will be directly available on your emote wheel in-game. That's the workflow for the gamers and the end users. Um, and that's kind of the two categories we're uh, addressing uh, for, the, for the moment. In the past, the way this would be done at like a AAA game in a, in a game studio is they would get people into a big studio. They'd wear these whole motion capture outfits. There'd be all these light points on it that they'd capture. And, and then the motion would be translated into the 3D geometry and the motion and the animation. And that could then be used to render characters with, within a studio environment. Give, give me your thoughts on the trajectory of this kind of technology of like, that kind of motion capture tech versus something that just looks at a, at a video camera? Where, where is the future here and, and where do you see creators generally, not, not only for the Kinetics platform, but are people going to be using these motion capture rigs in the future? If they are, what are the circumstances and, and where will they not use them as much? Yes. So I believe uh, in um, multi-camera. Uh, so we're just to come back, we're doing mono camera. So you can input a video from TikTok, YouTube, and it's more mass market. For the animators that mm -hmm. want to do like more professional quality of animation that is more high end because the motion capture data uh, with the suits, obviously it's a higher uh, quality, even if you have to rework it because the stability of the feed, for example, is not perfect. So you have to uh, have a manual input uh, on the on the motion capture data that you extract. But for me, for the professional capture, I believe more that multi-camera with AI will be um, the future there uh, for the professional studios that want to create their own moves. Um, for us, for the for the, the creators, the more long tail, um, they will use mono camera for me. Um, and then the question is not only how can I create the content, but also how can I bring this content into the games? Because if you create a motion, you also need to put it on an avatar and to adapt it to the right uh, bones and the right rigs. Uh, so there are other technologies involved then to put the, because an animation that is working on a specific character might not work in another one. So there are also what we call the retargeting technologies to be able to uh, transfer a, a motion from one avatar to, to another. So let's say that there are different technologies today, mono camera, multi camera, but I'm sure that we will get uh, rid of the hardware and we will keep uh, camera uh, capture uh, on the next five years, let's say. And on the longer term, my vision is a bit different. Uh, and these are some projects we're working on uh, with our R&D department. Uh, in 10 years from now, I don't think there will be any more animation at all. Uh, it will be directly mm -hmm. AI NPCs that are automatically uh, behaving. So we're working, for example, now on smart filters and uh, discussing with InWorld, for example, which are doing the chat GPT of uh, avatars and learning from a text discussion or from uh, a context will be able automatically to play some naturally um, uh, generated gestures depending on the dialogue. So it's kind of linking our text to emote, but the future of the text to emote will be linked with the emotions, 
and being able to automatically create motion as you go. So you, there wouldn't be this process of game developers creating animation from mono-camera, mo multi-camera, or whatever. There will be game developer integrating an SDK uh, that is driving uh, the motion automatically of the avatars, and it will be AI-generated directly. So if we think midterm, I think uh, there is still space for this kind of traditional capture and doing what we were doing the past 30 years, but with uh, an improvement. So let's say that it's an incremental uh, uh, advancement, but I think there will be like completely different approach to uh, uh, motion in gaming in the next uh, few years. So I, I want to kind of recapture a little bit of what we've been talking about so that everybody appreciates the complexity of these problems. Because on the one hand, there's the motion capture and then the labeling of what motions even mean. There's the physics of spaces, right? Just because you say you want to do an animation, it has to respect the actual physics and the properties of a space, the obstacles, the other objects that are present there. Working around that becomes an issue. You also mentioned game design constraints, right? Just because it might in theory be physically possible if you imagined a 3D area, you might not want to allow a player to jump or jump off a cliff in your, your earlier example or do whatever it is because it may not be appropriate for the constraints of a game design system. And then on top of that, going back to the basic motion capture pieces, to get high quality capture still today requires this multi-camera setup with motion capture rigs and, and whatnot. So being able to get the same kind of quality off of say a phone is a really hard challenge. So we've got a whole long list of really complicated problems here. On the motion capture side, if we think about single camera setup, and I'm just gonna speculate for a moment here because I'm seeing some parallels with some of the recent work in neural radiance fields. Not that animation really is a direct map to the way neural radiance fields work, but the interesting aspect of them is this idea of you don't actually have to get a picture of every conceivable angle and position of an image to translate it into a 3D model. You can get a sparse number of inputs. So in animation, it seems like we almost need to do the same thing. Like we need to start filling in the areas of the unknown with the AI models that essentially integrate this information about the way motion should happen, even though we didn't actually capture it. it am, am I in the right track here? Which is a big part of AI is like filling in the gaps, not actually reproducing reality as we saw it, but guessing close enough that it's going to be accurate. Yes, you're completely right, but it's depending on what we're optimizing for. So uh, that's why it's super hard to compare sometimes different algorithms for video to animation, because for example, let's say your hand is behind my back, so you cannot see what I'm doing. So it would infer many possibilities. Uh, the question is, there is always a trade-off between fidelity to the input video or realism of uh, a fluid and uh, a natural animation. So at Kinetics, we made a choice of sacrificing sometimes uh, the fidelity to the input video, but to respect uh, the dynamism and the movement because we are addressing some people that want to rework the animation for most of them. So we want 
we prefer to a bit enhance the animation and make it look good rather than to be perfectly fitting exactly the motion that was played in the video. So the, so, sometimes you have to make some trade-offs and these are the trade-offs we're, we're making. But yeah, uh, and if we can push even further on that, I don't believe that users want only, and this is what we learned the past few years, and that's what we are inputting in our text to emotes. I don't think that users want always to copy in the reality. I think when you're in a virtual world and you want to express yourself, you want to be able to do things you can do, you cannot do in the real life. So that's where the smart filters, we are like have a robotic AI, like a robotic filter. So you can input a filter on your emote to make you look more robot or more excited. Uh, so this kind of creative filters for me are also the future of how we will express ourselves in this virtual world, because why be our exact self uh, that in real life in this virtual world, I think it's a, a bit boring. Everything we do online is going to undergo massive transformation in, in the coming years, right? Right now, we're still doing videos in the old fashioned way, basically, right? So we do video conferencing, just like we're literally doing right now, we're capturing video. But in the not too distant future, it may actually be a lot more efficient to use some of these like avatar codec systems, like the one that 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 Meta was demoing a few months back, where instead of capturing video, we capture motion, we map it to an avatar, and that becomes who we are in visual in virtual space. I guess we'll all look better, we'll be able to look however we want, but also now it, you're taking it to the next level, which is maybe in addition to the particular gestures we're making and transferring that over the internet, over the metaverse, we'll also be able to both have filters that process and modify our motion. We'll be able to add more motion. We'll be able to get up and dance if we wanted to. So we'll be able to integrate all of this expressiveness into avatar spaces. Now, right now, there's still a little bit of a delay in your text to animation system I think you were telling me maybe a minute or so to go through the process of, of making that happen. How close to real time do you think this will be? And, and let's just dream for a moment, like five years, 10 years from now, how will this technology really work online for us as end users in everything from uh, online games like Fortnite to video teleconferencing or, or whatever. Yeah, I think definitely for now is asynchronous. That means that you create your content, but then it's stored. That means that you can create your moves and your signature moves, let's say, and you save them and then you can click on a button on, or activate them in game with a command, like you were saying earlier, slash uh, dance, and you can have your own dance in this command. So it's like kind of asynchronous. Uh, but in the future will be, I think, real time. We, we're getting there. Uh, we're already doing some real time with the 2D, as you can see, like in Microsoft Teams. Now you can have your avatar. So we're already doing it with the 2D. Uh, in the 3D, I think in the next five years, obviously, it will be possible to do it uh, and to be able to do a live performance in a 3D space with a mono camera uh, uh, or text input. But I will need to check with my R&D team if I'm not saying something crazy. But usually, you know, I'm always more optimistic. Um, but uh, uh, I, I think it will be doable. And we're currently also working on, like, the first step is optimizing, you know, uh, reducing the time. 
And then the question is, do we keep the same level of quality or do we sacrifice a bit of quality for uh, 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 computing time? And there's always a, a trade-off. I'm remembering back to the Google Collab sheets I used with like these GAN models for 2D image synthesis just a couple of years ago when I was doing those, it would take like hours to make one frame. Now you can go to mid-journey and get a frame, you know, a few seconds really, less than a minute. And now with some models, it really is down to fractions of a second in video generation. We're talking about multiple frames per second of synthesis. It, it's amazing to look at the exponential curve behind how fast some of these models are improving. And it seems like that will improve everywhere because we've got GPUs improving, we've got algorithms improving. But your problem is really complicated because we're trying to take like one snapshot of reality, the way we move, the way we interact in spaces, synthesize that with animations and then respect the physics of things. And I'm also thinking through this research paper that came out just a few months ago from Google is called Dreamix, where they're trying to get avatars to work with um, with text to animation prompting, not exactly the kind of thing you're doing, but it, but respecting the physics of space and actually putting multiple characters together, putting obstacles, see how they respond to it. How do you bring that into an environment? Because it, that seems like a problem at the game system level, like the game system itself has to manifest the physics within the 3D engine and then at the same time, you're bringing in all of this animation data that they may not have thought about. Take me through just the complexity of that problem and how you're thinking of it. So everything that has to do with an interaction, it's always complicated. That's why, that's why we took, I think, took us more than a year and a half to solve the fit grounding problem. Um, so because we, like mm. the first, like the first interaction that everyone has all the time is having their feet on the ground. So that's the first interaction. Uh, and it's a very, very complex uh, problem to solve. Uh, for the other aspect of interacting, like bringing an external content that will interact with an environment, it's something we're not working on uh, at the moment. Um, and also because it's not serving the main use case we're, we're doing uh, for the moment. So we're first deploying that and then there are, I think, many, many hard problems to solve as the one you, you say. Uh, but I think this will come more from the game studios themselves on the AI NPCs that I was mentioning before. And I think it's more papers linked to reinforcement learning, how you can place agents that will behave in a space and learn how to interact with the space. Uh, it's more what we call reinforcement learning, which is another branch um, of, of the AI. Uh, but I think that will come... Uh, directly from the studios. And it's, it's, let's say that it solved a different kind of uh, problem and it's more for the animation of the NPCs. Yes, and, and just as I'm recalling what I was just mentioning a moment ago, I said Dreamix, which is, which is closer to like the runway ML stuff where they're trying to do restyling of, of views. The, the paper that I was thinking of was actually an NVIDIA paper on, on physics and, te and text to animation prompting. Um, we'll we'll provide links to some of these things in the show notes so that people can check it out afterwards. Let's double click way back to the conversation on monetization we were having earlier. So you've also imagined this as being a new way to monetize content, to create a 
new form of creator economy where people could contribute animations, make content that other people could benefit from in a community. Could we talk about that a little bit? Because this has been a big conversation around AI in general, which is there's on the one hand, people who are saying, well, we're just training things from observable phenomena and content that already exists. And then there's sort of the opposite side of this conversation, which is, well, people are taking and benefiting from content online um, and making it available for for reuse. What are your thoughts on that? And, and why might animation be different? And, and how are you hoping to solve that with the economy? So first, animation is a very complex task that are not accessible to a lot of people. Today, there are a few hundred thousand of people that can do animation. And it's very sad because it's the the first form of expression and storytelling in a 3D space. If you don't have that, you cannot make character express themselves. So we think it more as a liberation of a very, very technical thing that people couldn't do before uh, to many, many people that are able to do it. So for me, it's not replacing, it's like more creating a whole new market on enabling people to do things that they couldn't do uh, before. Um, first and the second is also the legal aspect of it um, today uh, moves are not copyrighted and we believe that uh, it doesn't have necessarily to be but it can be a new form of reward for the creators and involve them in the process and that's why we're currently uh, we had a deal with the bbc to work on dancing with the stars to create the moves from the the dancer without technology um, uh, and bring it into virtual world we brought the, the move of uh, uh, Dancing with the Stars to Next Dancer, which is a game we're collaborating with, uh, a dance game. Uh, but we're also currently uh, working with the Sandbox on uh, bringing emotes uh, for, for celebrities and bringing them into uh, Sandbox in the future. And there are some things not disclosed yet, but working with big, big IPs to bring them into virtual worlds. And IPs are aware that now they can also monetize on these aspects and we can work with the brands, IPs, but also creators that are doing super cool moves and that they can uh, put on Kinetics platform and then we distribute them across virtual worlds. Because obviously if you're Fortnite, you can negotiate with these big IPs because you have the size to do it. But let's say you're a smaller game, uh, but you still want to bring fun content and uh, original content to, to your game. You can just see us and we will be able to open our libraries of branded emotes um, that are in collaboration with many uh, virtual worlds and on the, uh, with many IPs and brands. And on the other side, for the IPs, they don't have to deal with hundreds of games. They can just work with us. We don't need the artists to come. We can just create with our technology and use their own videos or they can send us a video. We create the content. We improve it, obviously, because it's premium content. So we have our own team that will redesign and improve the content. And then we can diffuse it in all the virtual worlds we're uh, working on. It's kind of the same model as Ready Player Me that are doing with uh, avatars and uh, uh, wearables, but for emotes. You're touching on a topic which which is a passion of mine around interoperability and and this idea that creators can generate a type of content or script something, write code, whatever it is that, that defines how their creative process unfolds, but be able to deploy it across different ecosystems. Interoperability is a super hard problem. And now we're talking about like 
a super hard problem of animation for all the reasons that we talked about already. Physics, game design constraints, motion capture, the prompting aspect, all of that. So how do you think about interoperability? Because I'm thinking of like sandbox and voxelized environments like, you know, that's like Minecraft all the way to you know, game-like things like Fortnite to maybe even things that are a little more hyper-realistic. They've, they've got a lot of different issues in their character structures, right? How, how do you deal with that? Yes. So as I said in the beginning, our um, SDK is plugged to the engine of the game. So we have access to the rig system. And then we have a technology that is called retargeting. So once we produce one emote, uh, a movement, we're able to automatically, we have like our adaptation for multiple rig systems. And today we already support uh, Sandbox, Roblox, um, Unity, uh, Unreal, Mixamo, um, Zepeto, so, and also Meta avatars, we're working on them. So we're mm-hmm. adapting our emotes to the most, uh, like uh, most of the animation, like a rigs system. Uh, so once you create an emote, you'll be able uh, to use it in, theoretically in multiple virtual worlds, but we are still seeing a resistance because virtual worlds don't want you to be able to take this content and, and using it elsewhere. But for us, for now, all the games will be plugged to. Theoretically, the emote that you created in this game, you will be able to use it in a, another platform. Another thought that's occurring to me is one of props, and maybe we're getting into future future stuff. but. That's fine. We're, we're going to dream here about stuff that might take a while to get to. But if I think of Fortnite, for example, you're carrying weapons around, you've got guns and stuff like that. In another environment, maybe you're playing with a ball or something. I'm imagining juggling, right? So how, how do you start also taking it to the even the next level beyond that in terms of thinking about the kinds of prompt, sorry, uh, prop interactions that I might have in an environment? Because that seems core to animation, if I go back to what you were describing earlier, truly democratizing animation so that anybody who wants to participate in this can go beyond the few hundred thousand people that do it today. Jeez, I think I just flagged yet another super complicated part of this technology, right? Yes, it's something we're not doing. Like, as you know, for example, if you have a weapon in a game and you play an emote, the, usually it disappears and you do the emote and then it reappears. So for the moment, we're sticking to these kind of artifacts to not deal with the assets and really stick to the only animation uh, file, uh, which is already very hard. And, uh, and in the future, we'll be able to, to do also, you can think of VFX, for example, if you do an emote and then you have like, like my idea, uh, if we go crazy and think about the future, my idea was to say, when you create an emote, you have like different kind of elements, emotes, you have like water emotes. And we have like our team worked on a fun project which was to create, uh, uh, every time you generate an emote, our AI will calculate the spin, the, the how aerial is it if you're like flat, like jumping and a lot of criteria. And it will determine if it's water, electricity, wind, or something. And then it will create different attributes. And when you play an emote, you will generate, for example, uh, electricity or water to add, like, of the, like, when you play an emote, you want to, as the young people say, to flex and to show uh, how you're the best. So if you want to then generate, like, storms and stuff like that, it will be generated. And 
my team uh, was happy to work on this uh, to showcase some stuff, but bringing this into cross games, it's a bit of a challenge because everyone has their own uh, rendering system, VFX, and we cannot deal with multiple assets for the moment. So that's why we decided to stay focused on emotes and bring emotes to the, the players on a more social environment level. And yeah, the idea was to restrain and constrain the problem we're solving um, because it's, it's difficult to, uh, to, bring, uh, to bring an external asset directly in the game. It's already a big, big challenge, uh, let alone bringing multiple assets and VFX and stuff. It will be difficult to, uh, to bring cross games. Well, you, you're giving us a good product management 101 lesson here for startups, actually, because the fun thing about everything you're talking about is you can dream really big on this. And there's all these aspects of animation, performance, even almost cinematography. Like there's all these aspects that you can potentially bring into this. And it touches all these super complicated problems of physics, motion, performance, expressiveness, narrative even. Um, but to be a startup, you actually have to start with the problem you can immediately solve. So I, I'd like to talk a little bit about your own entrepreneurial journey. Like what brought you to this problem? How did you settle on this particular subset of problems? And, you know, just kind of the, the history, the story today, take us through that. Yeah. So before kinetics, I, I come from a finance like VC. I was working with the startups. A lot of, uh, I launched one of the biggest VCs now in Morocco, where I'm from. And I was working with a lot of SaaS marketplaces. And let's say that in Morocco, we're still like kind of taking uh, the innovation and like e-commerce marketplaces that already exist elsewhere and uh, trying to bring them to the local market and uh, the MENA region. And I was like, um, I saw a lot of that, those kind of startups. And I was like, I don't want to create a startup like that. I want to create a startup where everything is uh, disruptive and new. And I think I took the challenge because... Uh, we're working on since 2020 we're working on ai which is like a new market with the metaverse and virtual worlds which is uh, also a new market uh, so i think the i wanted something that is uh, at the edge of the, what technology can bring and what technology can do and when i was choosing the industry um, I, I i wanted to have fun actually and i think gaming is a very passionate like everyone that is in gaming is passionate uh, I spent my whole childhood playing memoir RPGs, actually. And during the COVID, when I started Kinetics, I, I was playing again uh, Lineage 2, which is my favorite game of all times. And I was like, I, I never had so much fun. So I think I want to create a company in this field. And it was like, okay, how can we bring technology to this field? And I met my co-founder who was doing AI in 3D animation. I was like, okay, all the pieces were together to, to launch uh, Kinetics. And... Uh, I think we made the right decision. We were a bit early market because it was a bit uh, challenging in the beginning, especially to to raise funds in uh, in when you're a bit early and the trend is not there yet. It's it's a bit complex uh, sometimes because you have to educate a lot uh, and explain what you're doing. And when you talk about complex animation issues to VCs, they, they don't understand what is animation, why it's complicated. They will just say, oh, yeah, 3D animation is a small market. Uh, we don't want to deal with that. And then when you show them, oh, look, but in Fortnite, they're generating like uh, almost a, a billion every two years. And then it's like, oh, maybe it's an interesting market. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a, a challenging, let's say, um, 
uh, explanation of, of, of uh, how it's growing. But I think we have a great momentum now with the generative AI and uh, also the metaverse idea of everyone is convinced that um, we will be uh, living in virtual worlds, uh, not necessarily with VR, but uh, experience, experiencing uh, avatar-based uh, identity cross platforms. It can be through our stickers on WhatsApp or through our uh, avatar in Roblox, but we will have a virtual identity and it's something that is already here today and it's growing. The second trend is like UGC. Uh, people will be customizing more and more uh, their identity and their assets and they will be able to bring those in the games and it's something that is growing as well. And the last part is of course, AI will be the facilitator to, to all of this. And it's something that is growing more and more. And the quality levels that we reach in text and, anime, and the video, uh, image and soon video and then 3D is comforting the point to say that in a few years, the quality will be maybe uh, the, the, the same as uh, Pixar. And three years ago, I was doubting it. Now I'm like, maybe like, look what we reach in terms of image and video maybe we'll be able to generate animation that is reaching the Pixar quality in five years from now. Uh, and that's very exciting because everyone will be able to tell amazing stories and share amazing content. Uh, and yeah, I think that's very exciting uh, to live in these times. And you're talking about what I think is the right way to define and think of metaverse, right? So over the last couple of years, it's had all these different definitions. But we have the metaverse. Roblox is the metaverse. Fortnite is the metaverse. We've got hundreds of millions of people interacting in the metaverse. If we think of it as virtual worlds and virtual spaces that you can go into and project yourself and then express yourself creatively. I think it's that creative aspect that's really core to metaverse. And we might have more and more real time and more and more augmented and virtual reality interfaces to these systems, but it's not about the interface. This is just my own opinion, the way I describe it. It's not the interface. It could be on any kind of screen. Metaverse is more of a state of being. It's about becoming digital humans and being creative in these spaces. And, and you're playing right at the middle of that. How do you think this notion of metaverse is, is going to evolve over the next couple of years? And, and it's kind of become almost this toxic term over the last couple of years for a variety of reasons, but is it going to come back now? I, I saw Tim Sweeney posting the other day about how, hey, look, there's like 600 million people in the metaverse and, and uh, rumors of its death has been <laughs> greatly exaggerated. What, what's happening here with, with, I guess, the word, but more important than the word, what's happening in the world from a market perspective? I think it's all come back to the hype cycles and media. Uh, I mean, like, it's all a buzzword. Everyone talk about it. Everyone is excited and everyone define it uh, the way they want. But if we come back to the usage where people are spending time, actually, when I was playing Lineage 2 and I was like in TeamSpeak with all my friends and spending time, not only playing, but uh, spending time together and having fun and uh, socializing, it was already part of the, what we called metaverse. Uh, I think we're getting there slowly. Um, and if we like take the full definition, it's taking time uh, and it will all converge. And no Web3 is not dead. No Metaverse is not dead. It's just all these kind of technologies are combining themselves uh, to enable use cases. And adoption is getting more and more. And it's slowly uh, increasing. 
Uh, and yeah, as you said, there are already 600 million people playing. And these people, guess what, are the younger generation. So they're here to stay. So uh, I think hype cycles and media is kind of sometimes uh, misleading in terms of uh, what's happening. Uh, and we, we, I think we've been brainwashed with this idea of, yeah, the metaverse is us in a VR and it's like Ready Player uh, uh, One. And I, I don't think that's the, my vision. It's not my vision of the, of the metaverse. So uh, I think, as you said before, virtual worlds will be socializing, creating, exchanging, creating economies, and where there will be interactions and economies. This is something that's already happening, and it will be increasing more and more. It can happen on a phone or uh, on an AR device, if the AR device are good enough so that it's become natural for people to use that. And if not, it's okay. The idea of the metaverse is still there. Uh, it's not depending on a specific device. It's depending on the usage that people have. And that's already already there and is growing. So the metaverse, whether it's Lineage, Fortnite, Roblox, Sandbox, Minecraft, like all of these are manifestations of projecting ourselves into digital space, but more importantly, our expressiveness, our creativity in virtual space. And core to that is democratizing the ability to shape these spaces, which is what you're doing. So you're making it possible to go from the few hundred thousand people that can create animations to maybe that'll be a few hundred million people sometime down the road. That's what the metaverse is going to be all about. So Yasin, this has been really fun. This problem that you're working on is super complex, super complicated. And I have a much deeper appreciation for the challenges of animation systems with characters and prompting them to existence through all of this conversation. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode and talking about it. I definitely encourage everybody to check out some of the other links to your company and some of the research that we mentioned along the way here. Um, but Yasin, thank you so much for being on the episode. Thank you so much.